Hi, I'm Dennis Sheeran. And I'm Raymond Steinmetz from the Instant Relevance Podcast. And we're part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 now has over 500,000 downloads. That's right. As of this very moment, that's 501,687 to be exact. (laughs) But uh, who's counting? Uh, Well, I am. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening and sharing. You are awesome. You made this milestone happen. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. Please keep downloading and listening and sharing. Thanks so much. Enjoy the next show. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Michael Pellico. Michael is a successful medical researcher with numerous patents. He's also a film producer, and he's a children's book author and publisher. Today, we're talking about his books, the inspiration for his books, and the importance of children reading. So much to learn today. Thanks for listening, and you're going to love, 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 love this interview. By the way, before you go, could you take a moment to go to my website, stephenmiletto.com reviews, and rate and review the podcast? That would be so cool. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. The holidays are on their way, and they can be a particularly stressful time of year if you don't have a plan. Well, have I got a solution for you. Join my friend Lynn with ConnectFlow Grow in her launch of Stress Less Holidays. Through this live Zoom webinar, Lynn will teach you how to evaluate your stress and develop a plan to reduce it. This is an abbreviated version of her 21-day Stress Less Challenge to give you the best tools in the shortest time frame. A less stress holiday is priceless. Your investment of $17 per person or $2,500 flat rate per organization is the first step towards taking control of holiday stress. Learn more about stressless holidays and join by going to my website, stephenmiletto.com sponsors. Click on the ConnectFlow Grow logo and the link will take you to where you can find out more information and sign up. Time for you to stress less during the holidays. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that we'll be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmiletto.com, sponsors, find the NVTA logo, and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators. 
helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. One of 11 children whose parents both worked long hours, it was his responsibility to help raise his siblings. Growing up poor, he entertained his siblings with imaginative, imaginative stories, often made up right on the spot. Now Michael Pellico is telling these stories to his nephews and nieces. His books and all of his stories are dedicated to Sabrina, his niece, who insists that he tell her a story each time they are together. Often the plot is about some object within her view. Creativity is paramount. Moonbow Publishing was created by Michael Pellico, a successful writer and producer of films. He, he likes to publish quality children's books that have adventure, comedy, excitement, and above all, lessons for life in a way that children will really enjoy. Moonbow Publishing's children's books have several levels to their stories that can be enjoyed by children and adults of all ages. They're an extension of the stories that the author and founder told his 10 younger brothers and sisters and is now telling their children. Michael, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here. Well, Michael, it's so awesome to have you here. And, and I got to ask you something. You're a successful medical researcher with dozens of patents. Why'd you decide to become a children's book publisher and author? Like all things in my life, very things, very seldom are things you actually thought out that far in advance. I was just used to be a storyteller and I loved telling stories since I was a little boy to my younger brothers and sisters. And then, then after that, when they had their own brothers, when they had their own children, I'd end up telling them stories too. They'd gather around me, telling me stories, whether in the pool or in the backyard, they would just gather around me, point to things, they'd tell me a story. I, I got some of a reputation for doing that. In fact, is uh, Sabrina, when she was in grammar school, her, her the principal of her school invited me over to tell stories on Thursday afternoons to the children. And I was, these children would gather around me in a circle on the floor and I'd sit there and they'd raise their hand and say, tell me a story about it would be random things and I'd have to sit there on a spot and tell a story. So you got pretty good at that, at thinking quickly, I have to say, and sometimes, and actually quite honestly, I think I'm a better storyteller than writer because when you're telling a story, you don't get caught with grammar mistakes. <laughs> but um, it was fun. Like one time a little child said to me, he pointed to a garbage can. He said, tell me a story about the garbage can. Yeah, that was a metal garbage can and I'm seeing myself. So I said, well, one time these little boys and girls were walking down the street and they threw some something into the garbage can they heard a burp and they thought was that a burp and they came back and they threw something else and they threw another little burp and to make a long story short so basically i convinced them that this little garbage these garbage cans were actually little aliens who were visiting us and that's how they got fed and they got to be friends with some of these little alien garbage cans but it's just, it just you just have to grab something and make something out of it i love it that's awesome <laughs> i love it yeah <laughs> That's cool. And you're going to make me think twice about those garbage cans, too, by the way. That's right. Yeah. Now, you also, ha I have to ask you about your film credits. You're a producer on many films. You have an IMDb page and you have a film that's received an award. What got you involved in making films? Well, the first film that I think I got an award for was The Mother, M-A-A-T-I, which is filmed in India. And it is, I was in India doing some medical lecturing. And I saw what was, I saw a lot of the things that were going in India that really disheartened me, the way the women were treated, the height, I mean, the amount of rapes in, the, in, in India, they were unreported because women have no respect and no, no, they're just a piece of furniture. And if you want to say it the best. And so I came home and I wrote a, wrote a little story about that. I don't know why I write little stories about that. And I, and one of my friends who was an Indian actress, just a friend of mine, she said, well, I love this story, Mike. She, she mailed it to her friend who was a, a director an Indian Bollywood director, but he lived in Dubai. He loved it. He came out to see me. He said, let's make a movie. And I said, well, okay. I mean, it's not expensive, but it became a real big blockbuster with 
and it won a lot of awards. I'm very proud of that movie. And that's what started my movie business and way to think, gee, I can write movies. <laughs> I never cool. thought I could. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, it, that's, and I mean, what a neat, uh, I mean, you just have this incredible creativity. I mean, you've got, you got the, you're using the brain with the medical research and then telling story, you know, and telling your stories as well as then also um, being creative in the film. So that's awesome. But it's not unusual. I think some of my, some of the most famous medical people I know, like remember Fred Hoyle, he was an astronomer, British astronomer. Huh. He was a science fiction writer, famous for it. Then Lewis Thomas, who was the head oncologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering, he was a he wrote great story, great books. I think that the problem we have as adults is we tend to limit ourselves. Oh, I I'm a I'm a medical researcher, or I'm an accountant, or I'm a lawyer, or I'm a doctor. That may be true what your degree is in, but why don't you just say, you know, I love cooking and I'm a great cook. Oh, by the way, I also do medical research. Why do we children don't do that? Children don't limit themselves. But adults, as we get older, maybe it's a biological thing, we tend to narrow our focus more and more our world around it because more and more narrowed. And I think this is a mistake because then you, you miss opportunities because you don't see them because, oh, that's, I'm an accountant. I can't do that. Or, but maybe you can do that. So I think we have to take a mental sledgehammer to our brain, break this concrete and, and, and challenge ourselves, do things that we want to do, but we think, well, that's not in my scope of things. So I'm not unusual. No, but very cool. That is awesome. It is so awesome because a lot, a lot of times, like you said, we just don't tap into it. We don't. We, we, you know, I think as adults, we lose that magic that as a child we think you know we know that we can do anything, and uh, as adults, we start I think thinking about our boundaries, and it's cool because it's cool that you have you're out there in all of it. This is awesome. I love it. And I think that I think that's part of biology. By the way, I think it's important for children. I, and I'm saying this very seriously. I think from a biological point of view, a brain development, brain. Uh, that the brain has to be challenged. I think the brain is growing, it's growing new neurons, new synapses. And so the way that the most important thing you can do is to let that child grow in every possible direction, not limited. And that brain will develop and it'll grow into its own right. But it's, it's, it's part of the body. It has to be exercised, it has to grow. And therefore a child should not be limited. If a child is whimsical and has daydreams and has imaginary friends or whatever, encourage it. Don't discourage it. And don't, don't try to be, don't try to teach a child to be an adult too early. It's not healthy for the child's brain development. So yes, I think it's important that we, and we have to, and I think as adults, we have to force ourselves like learning a little language would not be comfortable with it, but I think we have to force ourselves to be always children. I like that. I like that a lot. That's cool. I, you know, one of the things I want to do is get back to your storytelling as a kid. I mean, for many years during your childhood, you didn't have a television set. Did you turn to storytelling to inspire others or to block out your surroundings? No, my surroundings were all quite good. We were not, we're, we were not wealthy, but we were a very happy family together. We were, and uh, we'd sit around doing homework together. So we had a good surroundings. I think the storytelling came not because we had, maybe because we didn't have TV, maybe because we didn't have internet, maybe because we didn't have cell phones, maybe we didn't have all these things today. So we had plenty of time to, I don't want to say how old I am. I get depressed, but we used to sit around the radio and that's your imagination because you had to visualize everything. Uh, and so I think to, to some extent, I think the storytelling was just part of our making our own, our own imaginary world come to life. So I think I'm, I'm sure we're not the only family doing that. Yeah, I think you're right, but I got to tell you, that's so cool. Cause that's, uh, 
to have a built-in audience helps. <laughs> oh yes, and, well we had a, we had a built-in audience, that's for sure. Nice. <laughs> and, there was eleven of us. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. That's awesome. Yeah, and it, three. And by the way, three bedrooms and a bathroom and a half. Whoo. Yes. Tell me about that. So, so where do you? You're the oldest. Yes. And uh, and uh, how far apart to the youngest? There's probably a year and a half between each and one of us. Gotcha. Until my mother ran out of time. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> I'm caught up with her. She wanted to keep going if she could have. Nice. Yeah. So did you have books that you enjoyed as a child and how'd they shape who you are today? Oh, I've been asked that question before. I, I always love to read. I, it's just something, you know, I have to say that some people love to read more than others. I happen to, every, every, I, there's never a time there was not a book in my hand. I used to read my mother's medical books, which I thought were, were really interesting and fascinating and probably made me love the medical research because of her books. As I saw things and I read about diseases and I read about this and that. And it was, to me, it was, it was it's, it's an adventure story. Medical books are almost like an adventure story. And then, of course, I would read all the, every kind of book I get my hands on, whether well, I don't care what it was. And so, and my parents allowed me to read. I used to spend hours and hours at the local public library because we couldn't afford our own books. And I used to sit there and read until the library closed. Um, I read books like Silas Marner, um, like I said, Great Expectations, uh, Green Mansions, Odyssey, Iliad. I read, I read everything. And not only that, I used to read science fiction. I, I used to imagine myself in different worlds and different planets with different species and different things. So I can, everything I read, I think added to who I am today, everything, not just the serious books, but even the ones that were not so serious, but they all, they all made my imagination run any way I wanted. I remember sitting there at one time, I had this book, I read about a little boy and how he came from a planet where they had tele, uh, telepathy and how the story was that we all had little humans had telepathy too, but we lost it as we grew older, like, like our ability to learn a language. So we had a practice at early age. So I'd be standing behind my bedroom door, trying to teleport myself to the other side when I was a little boy, tele until my dad opened the door one day and gave me a bloody nose. So, Ouch. <laughs> but that was great. I mean, that's how I did. You have to keep that imagination growing. That's, that's, it, it, it's awesome. I, I, you know, it's interesting. Cause like when I was a kid, um, now I, I got absorbed into the comic book world. I was a big Spider-Man and Batman fan. And sure, sure. but the, uh, but that also led me to, uh, as I started seeing different, uh, and I also, the, the, the older Disney movies from the time. And, uh, and so that got me hooked on. Cause one of my favorite ones was 20,000 leagues under the sea with James Mason Amazing and, story. Wonderful story. I love it. And, and so that I went, that, that led me to reading Jules Verne stories, which was pretty cool. And then, and I got hooked on Ray Bradbury, and uh, he used to live out here by me. It's Not awesome. Too far from me, he lives very close to where I live. That's he awesome. Was an amazing author. He was, and his his stories about Mars just always made me think. Which today it's kind of interesting that uh, we're even contemplating being on Mars. So I've been pulling back out the the Bradbury Martian Chronicles stuff. But I, I would imagine many of your great scientists and astronomers grew up on the same science fiction books that you and I did. Yeah. Probably very much right. And, it, and then another one was H.G. Wells. So just as a note, there's two different versions of <laughs> little interesting things with Mars. We get one invades the Earth and the other one, we invade Mars. So, <laughs> yeah, and I remember that I'm, and Ray Bradbury had I think Ray Bradbury had both of them where we invaded Mars. And they basically overcame us, but just in a wonderful way. But yeah, Ray Bradbury yep. was wonderful. And these, these stories are just kids grow up in these stories and they, and they, it opens their mind to such amazing, amazing imaginary stories of their own. 
Very much so. So, so awesome. I, I, so one of the things I got to ask you is let, let's start shifting to your, your children's books. I mean, you did it all your book. You dedicated all your books to your niece, Sabrina. And it's pretty right. cool because you have this, there, there's a recurring character named Sabrina. And I think that's neat. And you also have, you've honored her by naming these characters in her books. I mean, how'd she become your muse? I mean, how did she become that person that you're going to name these characters after? Well, because her father, my brother, lives very close to me. And so I was, I would see her every single day and be walking. We'd sit by a tree. We'd sit by the, up under the tree and, and we'd sit down and she'd say, Mikey, tell me a story. And she was, she almost, I, I have to say she's very unusual because she, at a very early age, she used to sit there with a very strong ability to concentrate. She'd sit there and listen to me tell these stories and, and would add to them, say, I'd be telling her a story about something. She'd say, and Mikey, did he, and did, and she'd make, add something to the story. Like, and did the witch um, have sisters? Yes, Sabrina, she had sisters. So she would sit there and we'd sit there for hours and just tell stories. And she'd be not realizing at the time, but she'd be telling the story with me. And so she became, I mean, she became my muse because I knew that she wanted, she had expected a story from me. And she inspired me to keep writing. She inspired me to add more stories. And she'd be saying to me, like in The Little Witch, <clears throat> she said to me, Mikey, when are they going to have the birthday party, Mikey? When are they going to have the birthday party? So I better write that birthday party book. And now that now that they have both have magic brooms, Sabrina and Anna, Mikey, when are we going to go to the world? And I want to go to the land of the witches, Mikey. I got to go to that. Okay, we're going to write that story. So we, it's like she's my collaborator and she's my inspiration. That's so cool. That really yeah, is. It is. Connecting with her imagination and, and you putting them in writing. I love that. That's cool. I hope you direct and I, them. And, I, and the thing about it is when you make, when you, when you encourage her to write the story with you, even though she doesn't realize it, it adds to her loving to read. It adds to her loving. Now, and I go to her house now and she's always got a book in her hand and she's reading books. She's reading, she's reading Ray Bradbury right now. She's reading Andre Norton right now. Uh, 2050 she's reading she's so she's reading even though she's nine years old she's already reading books far beyond what I thought she'd be reading and I think because she was helping me she loves to read now so again it's important that children read because it, they develop their love of reading I love that that's so cool I mean because you know it's it's because it, you're talking to someone who developed I mean I was like I said comic books became my my thing but I still I was reading books constantly but What's neat is over time, I, I became better at better and faster at reading. And so yes, yes. now now I don't avoid the huge novels and things like this that are and I and I typically always have some some work of fiction in my hand besides nonfiction. I'm reading both at the same time. And yeah. and uh, I love uh, love a little bit of everything, a little bit of thrillers. And, sure and, stuff like and that. the more you read, by the way, you get better at reading, which I found you that you read faster, you read faster with better comprehension. I noticed that it's pretty wild. So I, yeah, and I and I think I, you know one of the sad things is I don't see children reading as much. I see children sitting around with their iPhones and, and things like that. I find it very sad. Now, I don't want to say that because I sound like yeah, like a generational issue. <laughs> but if you don't, if somehow reading to me is what really makes you special, and I'm not saying that because you and I love to read, but I see Sabrina how reading has helped her, even in school, her ability to concentrate, her ability to to solve problems and things, it all comes from reading. I believe. Oh, I think you're right. I think it gives you patience. I think it lets you start figuring things out and listening to your brain a little bit more than listening to somebody else telling you how to do things like happens mm -hmm. in those computer games. 
And uh, not that I'm <laughs> the same thing, not that I'm anti-computer game or all that world, I but it, I think that it has its place just like uh, got to encourage them to read because I, the, the, the magic of, you know, using your own mind to, to determine those worlds that are out there and stuff like that is, or what's going to happen in the story or to anticipate what the author is going to do. It's cool stuff. I, you know, one of the things I got to tell you is that your books, sometimes children's authors make books too content heavy. You know, it's like they they don't think much about, you know, the, the kid figuring things out. I just, it, you've got great flow to your stories. I, I, I really like that. I want to make sure I shared that with you. So I think it's cool. So well, I think, I think it's important that the stories don't wander and don't get adult acting and feeling and, and, don't try to lecture. Don't make the book into a lecture because my books do not lecture at all. The parents tend to lecture, wag their finger at a child, and and yet you can tell a child a moral without hammering the child on the head with it. Um, respect for older elders, uh, respect for the unknown, not judging. These the, when parents tell the child that the child blocks it off, I do. You know, don't <laughs> lecture me. I hate being lectured to. Right. But if I read something in a story. I go, hmm, that's right. You know, but I'll, I'm more willing to take it from a story than I am from my own parents at one time because I believe the story and I want to be part of it. But when parents lecture the child, I think it's a mistake. And I say, give the child a good book. The child will get a lesson from it. Trust me. Very much so. Very much so. I love that. That's awesome. I, you know, I, one of the things I got to ask you this. I mean, what's really cool is you have you have some recognition in your books and it's, it's awesome. And it, I mean, are you surprised to see your books with several mom's choice awards and getting critical acclaim from, you know, the people at Kirkus, Kirkus reviews? And I am, I am surprised because I consider myself more of a storyteller than a book writer. I tell you, I tell you honestly that I'd rather be sitting down with children around a campfire and telling them a great story that pops in my mind than writing a book. But if they like the stories, I, as long as the children like the stories, I, that's what I really like. And that's what I hear from parents. I loved your book of the Little Witch, or I love the story about the unusual friend. That to me is the best comment you get. The Mother's Choice Award and the Kirkus Reviews are all fine, but those are adults. Who cares? <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's awesome, right? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> why don't they give? Why don't children write awards? I'd be more impressed by that if they would write awards <laughs> that I would get. That I'd be happy. But some adult reading my book, okay, fine. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. I like that. <laughs> I got to say this because one of the other things that's really cool about your books is that they're so nicely illustrated. They're they're pretty. They're they're beautiful books. They, the drawings and the caricatures and I mean, they're just nice and the expressions are amazing. I, you know, one of the things that I just got to how did you hook up with? You know, can you talk a little bit about your illustrator? I mean, because. She really does a great job of capturing. Yeah, there's two illustrators, as you know. There's Christina Berry, who did The Little Witch, and she did the uh, uh, she did Unusual Friend book. And then I've got uh, Melaine Newman, who did the uh, uh, Leprechaun, the book, The Prince of Green, uh, Pot of Gold, and she did the uh, Christmas Tree book. They write in different styles, if you notice. They both have different types of styles. Um, Sabrina's, uh, Christina Berry's books are, are more surreal, more whimsical, and... Chrissy and, and Melaine Newman's books tend to be more Disney, <laughs> clean, concise, and they all fit in a different way, I think. And Christina Berry's books, I think, are wonderful because they portray the feeling of the book in a great way. I, she she captures the 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 I don't know how I can say it. she she captures the imagination that I that I'm seeing in a great way. So she, and I think that's great. We sit down with, she and I sit down, I had to I'll put the manuscript in front of her and say, okay, let's choose the points of this book that we should illustrate. And we sit down together 
And she'll make stories, she'll make comments about my books, and make some changes. She'll say, Michael, how about this here? Um, I think, no, that's not a bad idea, Christina. Let's, okay, so I'll go rewrite that part. And she'll do those. So if, like everything in my life, I'll be honest, everything's a collaboration. I've done very little by myself. I don't think I ever will. But having these people around me who are so creative and who are so, I don't know, wonderful to work with, it just adds to me and adds to my stories. It really- and, um, and I say, Melaine Newman is the same thing. She writes wonderful books, wonderful stories, and she, she captures my feelings too. And like in the Christmas tree book, boy, those, those illustrations really tell the story better than I could even imagine. Those the faces on the trees and, and gosh, I wish I could do that myself, but they add to the story. They become part of the story. Very much so. And they're so, in, in both cases, both illustrators, I mean, they, they're so good at the expressions and making you, it, it just helps the, the reader identify with the characters. It's really neat. It's a, it's awesome. They're beautiful. I mean, this they're, and they're, they, they just help you get right into the story. I love it. Yes. And I can't say which is more important. I, <laughs> I've had friends come up to me and say, Mike, I love the Christmas tree book. She's a great illustrator. I go, yep. How about the story? <laughs> oh, I love the story too, Mike. But I, and I don't mind it. I That's think it's because it's a, it's, it's a, it's a connection between the two that makes the book good. Very much so. I totally agree. And then one of the things I got to comment about is, you know, your books are very colorful and what's really cool is they're printed in the U S uh, you know, when a lot of people are going outside to other places, I mean, is it important to you to have them made here? Very much so. I guess because I grew up in the Midwest in Chicago and I could buy a pair of shoes made in America. I could buy a jacket. I had a Philco radio. I had a Westinghouse TV, RCA TV. These are all American made. And my, my parents were middle class. And so if I bought American TV, I knew the money stayed in America. And I have this still, I still have this mindset that we have to support, it's a family here. We have to support each other. If you're a plumber, if you're a radio op, if you make two shoes or TV sets, if I can buy American or something else, I will. So if I have a choice to publish a book here, it costs more. I don't deny that. But the money stayed here. It goes to building schools and libraries and paying teachers salaries. So I can save some money by printing the book in some other country, but I, we will all be hurt by that decision eventually. I believe that. That's, that's a philosophy I have. I'm there with you. I'm there with you. And I love it. And kudos to you for... Uh, supporting the lo- the local businesses, I love it, and and, and it pays off because they're beautiful books. The, it, you know, one of the things uh, that I got to ask you, I mean, I, I've read the Perfect Christmas Tree, the Little Witch, the Little Witch's Birthday Party, and an Unusual Friend, and uh, you have neat qualities that you have in your stories that you uh, your stories reflect about the characters and stuff. You want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, are there s- certain specific things that you want your characters to kind of shine in? Char- you know ab- about. Oh my gosh, you asked me a question. I have to think about that now. <laughs> I think all my characters are good people. Even even the bad, let's say bad, are not bad. Just, I would say, ill-informed. And the they have a, I want to say they have an old Disney-like quality to them that I don't want to lose. I still have it to myself. I, myself, I have it. So I want my characters to be, how do I say this? Midwestern, small town, not not jaded by life yet, and still believe that that if they, if they follow the rainbow, they will find a pot of gold if they're lucky. And I don't, and they have that this innocence about them, 
and open to new ideas and learning. I guess that's all I can say. There's nothing special about it. They're just my childhood memories. That's awesome. I love it. Mm. And they are. They're very wholesome characters that uh, they're, they're friendly to each other. They figure things out. And, you know, and like you said, you have a couple of misguided ones, but <laughs> they figure things out. And I like that. We all, you know, we're all, I'm, I can sure I was misguided many times. <laughs> I Good God, I can tell you the stories. If you ask my, the teachers in my, my Catholic schools and who taught me, they have some pretty awful things to say about me, I'm quite sure. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot of people right now who, as soon as I mentioned the word misguided, they're like, yeah, he's kind of like the definition of it, I think. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's good for us, so it'll be that way. I, I'm glad we're not quite normal. <laughs> nice. I like that. I like that, too. That's good. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the things I got to well, f- do you have a favorite? By the way, before I leave that area, did you have a favorite of the, the books that you've created so far? The first book I wrote was, was Prince of Bring the Pot of Gold. That was my, that, I loved that book. It got me into writing, into not think, hey, I can do this. Um, I don't know if I have a favorite. I like The Unusual Friend because sharks are so misunderstood and, and, Fear from everybody knows. Dun, 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 dun. So we all know right. the story of Jaws, and yes, sharks have played a very important part in, in, in marine biology in the, in the in the food cycle, like wolves here on land, and they're misguided. And I think they're given a bad rap. So I think the book shows people not to judge any creature, and and. I think that all my books show don't misjudge little witches. Don't misjudge. Them. So I have to say unusual friend is one of my favorite books. I like the Christmas tree book because um, we tend not to, we look at things from our point of view and from our point of view, Christmas trees are beautiful. Uh, however, <laughs> you ask that Christmas tree, what he thought of, he'd say, I don't really like this holiday so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I want children, I want everybody to look at things from some, even today in, in, in life, it's better to listen sometimes to the other point of view than to, and, and understand the other point of view than, than take yours as the only absolute truth in the world. So maybe that Christmas tree book will make children realize, hey, there's two sides to everything. I like that. I like that. Nice. Very cool. So, you mm-hmm. know, and I, and I appreciate you, you choosing one to talk about, by the way, because a lot of times you ask authors and they say, don't make me choose. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, you put me on the spot on that one. Really <laughs> Appreciate you talking with me about that. That's cool. I, you know, now, I got to talk. You have your own publishing company, Moonbow. Uh, could you talk about publishing children's books and explain the name, Moonbow? Well, when I, when I first wrote my first book, which was Prince of Bring the Pot of Gold, I was very proud of it. I thought it'd be you know, a great story. And I went to a meeting and I met all these publishers and and, and author agents. And I quickly realized that I had about as much chance as a snowball in hell of being printed and accepted because nice. they're, they're inundated with many, many scripts, each one, each one by an author who thought they had the greatest novels, great next great Gatsby. And so they, and I realized that I'd be, uh, it'd be a long time before I had anything published at all, if ever. And so I said, no, I'm not going to stand in line. I'm not big on standing in lines of any type. So I came out with a book and I called it Moonbow Publishing. The name Moonbow came from the Princess of Bring a Pot of Gold book because uh, 
Prince Sabrina came back, the leprechaun princess came back in a moonbow. And a moonbow is actually a rainbow. It really does exist. It appears at night. They're very, quite rare. But you can find rainbows that appear at night. And there's something magic about them because you see them against a background of stars. And here comes a rainbow. It's beautiful. So I called it Moonbow Publishing. And for there, I can publish my own books now. I don't have to stand in line. And I don't have to, I don't have, to have some adult executive tell me, hmm, I don't know if I can publish this book, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, 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 that's, that, I don't have to listen to that silliness anymore. I can just publish my own books and not wait. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Do you have, thought, yeah. do you have thoughts of publishing other people? Oh, I don't mind. If I come across a good author, a good story, uh, it has to fit into my personal view of life and what children's books should be like. And if, if it doesn't, I won't publish it. If it's a good story, heck yeah. Why not? Why not give another author a chance and who doesn't have the financial resources that I have to publish my own books? If somebody comes up with a wonderful story about something, I'd read it and I'd say, you know what? I'll, let's do this. Let's publish it. Let's do some illustrations on it. Why not? Sure. I love it. Very cool. So, uh, so if you want to run a book someday, let me have it. I'll look at it and read it. Cool. Thanks. I appreciate that. The, uh, You're welcome. <laughs> um, you know, sure it, you got your own stories to tell. Oh, definitely. Definitely. There I, you go. See, we got a, we got a collaboration going on. I like that. You know, most, most people tell you I'm like Grandpa Stevie, and I always have been, you know, <laughs> which is what I, I really identify with what you're talking about. I didn't have siblings that I told stories to, but I created my, my own world. So it's. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure some of these stories should be public. And when I say that sincerely, some of these may be great stories. They they won't see the light of day though if you take it to a publisher. You won't. They won't go. There's just there's right. far there's fewer publishers today because it's so expensive. There's fewer outlets to have a book seen. Even Barnes and Nobles are very few. They're closing the one. They just closed the one by my house, which wow. is sad. So, you know, you may have a great a great story that children would really resonate with. But we, how do you see it? Well, Wimbo Publishing. Here we are. I like that. I like that. Very nice. Yeah. Good stuff. You know, one of the things that's really cool is that you're helping children explore, you know, new worlds and see things differently. I mean, and we've talked about this just a little bit. How do you think, I mean, what, what types of things do you think we need to do to try and help improve literacy, to, to encourage more reading and expanding vocabularies and their thoughts about the world, you know, not through lecturing, like you said, but by simply learning to read and reading and reading a little more? giving books that are interesting and for their age level. In other words, remember growing up, I remember C-Spot Run? Yes. Okay, well, that was a silly book, but at that time, I loved it. And then later on, you read, uh, I remember reading something book, A Wonderful Flight to the Mushroom Planet. It was a cute little story. You give books at, a, at an age where they can and read it without having to stumble over big words. And I find that they, as they get older and you give them, they will, they will start actually, I'm taking Sabrina, she's reading books now that when I saw her read, I say, wow, you're reading this? I was stunned that she's actually reading faster than I thought, than I expected to be reading, but at what level? So she's actually exponentially growing faster than I, than I anticipated, which is great. But she started out at an early age reading books about mermaids and sharks and dinosaurs. And remember that, and she and I would, we, I'd have to bury, I'd bury bones in the front yard and we, she thinks she's finding a Tyrannosaurus skull or something like that. We did, I, I helped her and encouraged her. But she, you don't, don't, don't overwhelm with big books. And, and the other thing, a lot of books today, I think are, are too 
uh, to lecturing. They have a lecture. They have a story behind it. You, and the story is, uh, is hitting the child in the head with a story about diversity or about, about something else. And I'm thinking, oh, hold on a second. Where, where, where's, where's, the, where's the story? The story itself is not important. I mean, it's not, I'm just saying it isn't, it's more important than the lecture. And adults are lecturing children today, trying to get us something, some agenda across. And I find it wrong. Just give the child a book. Read, the whole, read um, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. Okay? And read, read Odyssey and Iliad. The children will get the stories. They'll get the message. You don't have to hammer it in their head. So I think you look at books today, a lot of the books are just, honestly, God, they're quite boring. And so give the book, you know, give the book the classics. The classics are classics for a reason. They are wonderful books. So rather than giving some other book out there, just go out and find some great classic books that you and I grew up with. Tom Sawyer, I mean, I, I, mean, I was going to say like the Hardy Boys. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Give them these books because there are reasons why they're classics. There's a reason for that. They're, they're outstanding books. So that's how you encourage books to read. Your children to read is by giving them books that you and I grew up with, and they'll 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 find their own books later on. I love it. That's such an awesome message because it is, you know, it's, and it's it's sad that adults think that kids need messages all the time. It's like yeah. let them yeah. let them read, let them get some imagination going, and you know, there doesn't need to be some big moral to the story. It can it can be hidden in there and come out in the different stuff. You don't need to hit them over the head with it because it's you know that's one of my favorite things about just. Uh, some of the books that I that I remember the most uh, that helped me make me want to read more, and it was not some big thing at the end that they're trying to hit me with. It was just that it was exciting or cool. Or I was fascinated by books that where um, the kids built things, kids did stuff to help them solve mysteries, <laughs> and uh, just any number of them. I'm drawing a blank right now on some of the titles, but I was fascinated I'm by sure, that. I'm sure you have some, uh, I'm sure you and I had some of our favorite books and, and together we had some of our favorite books, but you're right about building things or, or exploring things or seeing something. And yes, you're right. Let the children find their own way through life. Don't, don't lecture them about your own personal views. I love that. I love that. This is cool, Michael. I've enjoyed this, mm. this conversation. We've got, uh, I got to ask you if, uh, it, you know, we're getting ready to close, and I, but I have a couple of questions that I like to ask my guests that are coming up last. But before we go, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? I guess Moonbow Publishing would be the good place to start. Um, you can buy my books there. You can buy them at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I suspect that's probably the best way to, if they want to reach me personally, I'd say through Moonbow Publishing. That's probably the best way to reach me. Of course, I, I mean, you can reach me in my email. Nobody ever does. <laughs> Except doctors. <laughs> Except doctors. Nice. Well, I'll put those things in the show notes so that they can uh, they can reach out to you. I'll have those things. Listen they, to me. They'd be great. Oh, I, and I would, I would certainly answer them. I would love to hear, especially if they're children. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I will put those links in the show notes so that people can reach out to you. That's very cool. Great, great, great. That's awesome. So uh, last two questions for you, Michael. First one goes like this. How do you keep going when there's so much going on? You get it overwhelmed and it may make you want to quit. I think to keep going is what keeps me sane and keeps me away from the real world. And I say that in parentheses, but I get great happiness out of writing a story. I do get, I do find it exciting and, 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 and it, I guess it keeps me from dwelling too much on the negatives. And because if you look at Sabrina and her, and I think I wish she would never grow older. I always think I wish, wish she could stay at five. Why didn't she stay at six? And she, she disappoints me by turning seven and I didn't want her to is that 
children see the world as a wonderful place with no crime, no illness, no death. When she had a book one time when she see the T-Rex fighting with a Stregosaurus, Mikey, what are they doing? Why? Sabrina, they're wrestling. Because I didn't want her to say they're fighting and killing each other. No, no, no. That's, that'll come later. They're wrestling. And so I want, I guess, I want to stay as young as I can forever. I don't want to grow up. And I, I want children around me not to grow up. I wish they could stay children forever because it's a, it will be the happiest time in many ways of their life. Not that getting older, is, is, there's some benefits, so I suspect, but I don't know what they are. But something about a child who watching Sabrina look at a tree and I can tell there's a fairy living in it. How come I can't tell you that? You know, how come I can't tell another adult that? Because we've, we've gotten to be adults, which is such a, I mean, that's one of the worst words in English language is the word adult. It's like a mature tree. It has no more, I don't know. It's just something about that word that bothers me. <laughs> I understand. Believe me. That's so cool. Yeah, it's a, uh, I, I, I like that a lot because that's, you know, that is something that uh, there's nothing better than that magical, just the thoughts about uh, the world and how it's, everything's magic to them as they're learning everything, that everything's there. I love it. Yes, and I hope and I wish it would stay forever. And I think as if we teach the children to stay young forever mentally, they won't grow old. They will stay young mentally. You can't stop the biological, chronological aging, but you can certainly stay young at heart. That's not a cliche, but it's true. Young in mind, spirit. But we have to force ourselves to do it. Otherwise, we tend to we tend to feel comfortable in our own little spaces, which is not good. I'm the same. I'm I'm like that myself. I had to force myself uh, not to be overwhelmed by life. I I, I realize we all are. I think it's, it's part of you know it's part of our ability to to fight it as much as we can. I think you're right. I like that. Mm. You know, the last question I have is, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say thank you? Well, when you say teacher, you, of course, you're thinking about school. But I have to say my teacher was my mother. Nice. My mother was the one who sat down with me and talked to me about stories. She used to cut out articles from magazines about traveling. She used to bring me to bookstores. She used to buy me. Uh, I remember the first Christmas present I can remember was the record Scheherazade by Rimsky Korsakoff. And so she, she opened my mind to many things. She never down, she never looked down upon me. We sit around the kitchen table talking about her work. We talked about things, her, her background, her stories. She was my best teacher. I would say she was my first and foremost and my hero in my life. And I don't have heroes, but anybody who can raise 11 children and still work full time as a nurse has to be a hero. But she's the one who really got me interested in books and always would bring me back a book for Christmas or buy me a book for here or take me to bookstores or book fairs. So yes, I have to say she's my hero I in many, it. many ways. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. And it's, yeah. uh, and my dad too. But my dad was more of a person who took me to football games and took me on a little league. But it was my mother who actually taught me the love of, of studying. That is so cool. Mm. I'm very lucky, very fortunate. Very much so. Well, Michael, I, thank you so much for sharing your books and company Moonbow today with us. I mean, you've created stories that are fun to read and just as much as fun to see. And I'm wishing the best in all you do. Keep making that magic. And I hope I keep sending these books to you. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Okay, I promise. Thanks. <laughs> I, have, I have another child in my life. I got I to keep you happy now. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
Hey, Steve here, and my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use, and my Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.